Amen. What a great story just of God gifting a person and, and them expressing his heart through that gift. So very, very cool. Uh, hello, Christ community. Greetings to our West Campus and our traditions venue, as well as our friends in LaSalle. So glad you are here. You know, I'm excited about what God is going to do here today. Uh, before we jump into the message, I want to just highlight something from the video announcements earlier. I love Alpha. I mean, the Alpha course is such a great opportunity to meet people, to explore Christianity in a safe environment, or to invite someone you know that is exploring Christianity. Maybe you have a friend, they're kind of exploring this Jesus thing, and, and you don't know what to say to them. You know, maybe you're, you just don't know how to kind of point them to him. Alpha is, a, is the perfect context for that. So be praying about someone that you might want to invite, and then you could just come along with them. You'll, you'll learn a lot as well. So Alpha, again, starts this Wednesday um, and includes a free meal each week. You do need to register online. And then there is the College Alpha, um, which is very, very exciting. That starts February 2nd. And, and college students, invite friends to that as well. That is going to be awesome. You can find out more info on the Evolve Facebook page. Okay, so we're in the midst of a teaching series entitled In Plain Text. And in this series, we're walking through the book of Luke and we're looking at what Jesus said and did. And as I mentioned last week, we're wanting to use this series as a catalyst for each one of us growing in our engagement in the Bible. And so last week, our personal engagement in the Bible. So last week, I mentioned a way for all of us to engage in scripture personally. We're using this um, in, in, in our e-groups. We're encouraging us to use it individually. And we're also using this in our, utilizing it in our C3 youth ministry. So it's the acronym SOAP, S-O-A-P. So the S stands for spirit. So we begin <clears throat> by asking the spirit to speak to us from his word. And then the O stands for observation. So initially when we, we read the passage, we're just trying to discover what's the author saying? What does this passage mean? And then the A stands for application. So once we've explored the original meaning of the text, we can then ask, God, what are you saying to me? In this, in this passage. How do you want me to apply this to my life? <clears throat> and then the P stands for prayer. Pray and ask God to help do that thing, whatever it is in your life. SOAP, S-O-A-P. It's a simple way to engage scripture on your own. And we encourage you to utilize that. We made a diagram of this. <clears throat> we put it on our website. You can find that diagram with some more information. We also made some copies at the information area if you want to pick up a copy. And I, I believe some, some bookmarks are in the works so that you could keep a bookmark of this in your Bible and that, that will be hopefully coming. Um, at, we'll have those available in a, in a, in a few weeks. <clears throat> I just sense that God is stirring something. Right in this season, I sense that God is stirring in our hearts a greater desire to be a people who are transformed by his word and our engagement in his word. And so that's really, really cool. Okay, so today we, we find ourselves in Luke chapter uh, 7, beginning in verse 1. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, feel free to open there or turn there. Luke chapter 7. And this passage is an amazing passage. And I use that word amazing very intentionally because usually in the Bible, when something is described as being amazing, it's referring to God, right? His grace is amazing or his miracles are are amazing. But in the passage that we're looking at today, this word amazing is used in a totally different context. It's used to describe how Jesus feels about someone else. In this passage, Jesus thinks someone else is amazing. He looks at a particular man's life and he says, wow, that is cool. That is amazing. 
which raises a really interesting question. What kind of life amazes Jesus? <laughs> what kind of life amazes Jesus? What would it look like for us to live a life that causes Jesus to be impressed, that actually amazes him? Well, we see the answer in Luke chapter 7, where we're introduced to this amazing man. Let me read this passage. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Uh, I want to read this. This again, this is God's word. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't even trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even here in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So in this passage, we see that Jesus is amazed at this centurion. A centurion was a military officer, a leader in the Roman, oh, he served in the Roman army. So this guy is a part of the army that is, that, that is the, of the nation that's occupying Israel. I mean, think about that. The Jews chafed under Roman authority. They didn't like it. So in general, general statement here, centurions were not esteemed by the Jews. They were not a positive role model in any way. But this man is different. He has the respect of the Jewish leaders in the city. We saw that in the passage. And he earns the respect of Jesus. There is something powerful about the way he is living his life. So, so let's discover what that is and learn from it. Now, 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 there are two, two levels of application that have been on my heart as I've been studying this passage and preparing this message and, 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 and praying about this. There are two levels of application. One is for all of us here. This text applies to everyone here, how all of us here can live a life that amazes Jesus. But there's another group of people that, that very much on my heart that, that in this room that I believe God wants to challenge specifically, and that is the men. The men including teenagers and on up. We are in the midst of a crisis of manhood in our nation. What does it look like to be a man? What is real manhood? On, on one hand, there is this image of manhood promoted in various forms of media, that manhood is about power and independence and sexual prowess. The, the horrific, the horrific fact that one out of five women have been sexually abused tells us that many men are embracing this very unhealthy, destructive definition of manhood. 
The other definition of manhood, kind of on the other extreme that's being embraced today, is one of was passivity, of apathy. You know, the, the typical sitcom dad who's disengaged and clueless, right? Or, or perhaps too exhausted from work to connect. We are seeing men increasingly withdrawing from relational engagement or activity and choosing a computer screen instead which can foster this passive, whatever, you know, kind of attitude and approach to life. Neither of these, neither of these is an accurate, healthy, biblical definition of manhood. What does it look like to be a real man? Well, this passage helps answer this question by looking at the life of this centurion. What impresses Jesus is not this man's power. It is not his military training. What amazes Jesus is how this man lived. He is an amazing example of genuine, godly manhood, which is desperately needed today in our families and our society today. So many men have not had real manhood modeled to them. And, and, and here we have a great model for us. Um, so, so let me highlight from this passage four ways of living that amaze Jesus and that define real manhood. The first is found in verse 2. They're, they're a centurion servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him asking him to come and heal his servant. So this centurion, this leader, has this servant who is very ill. Now, servants in that day were little more than property. They were viewed as being totally dispensable. They were in a lower, very low societal class. But we read here that this centurion highly valued his servant, so much so that he sent these Jewish leaders to Jesus to ask Jesus to come help. This was a servant. This wasn't a spouse. This wasn't a child. This was a, an employee, a lowly servant. If one dies, hey, let's just get another. That was how servants were viewed by people in power, but, but not this man. He treated this servant with honor, with honor, which is the first characteristic of living a life that amazes Jesus. It's honoring People. The word honor means to value people, to live in such a way that people around you feel important. They feel valued by you. That's honor. Years ago, a number of years ago, I remember I'm hearing Gary Smalley, he's now deceased, but Gary Smalley speak about relationships. And, and he talked about the importance of honor in our relationships, in our marriages, in our relationships. And I'll never forget the way he described honor, how to apply this. He talked about how the, when you say the word honor, the first syllable of honor is ah. Say that with me. Ah, right? That is the, that, 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 that's the attitude of honor. It's seeing people around us through the, through, through the eyes of, ah, this person is important. This person is valuable. Looking, looking beyond their economic status or their skin color or their, 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 their irritating personality traits or whatever. Looking beyond those things and seeing value in them and treating them accordingly. See, how, how do we view the people around us? How do we view the people around us? I mean, let's start with those closest to us, our, our, our spouse, if we're married. Do, do we view them with honor? Ah, or have we lost that? Do we take them for granted? Do we treat them rudely? I know of marriages where husbands treat their wives like dirt. 
They control everything they do. They criticize them. They withdraw from them unless they want sex. That's not manhood. One of the marks of manhood is honor, honoring other people, especially those closest to us, especially those closest to us. Husbands, our wives should receive our highest honor, not our leftovers. And what about the importance of honor in our workplace? I mean, think about the work environments. Maybe you've worked in at various times over the years or whatever. What, what, what is the impact on you as an employee when you feel valued and honored by your employer, by your supervisor, when you feel valued by them, this person? I mean, this, is, this, has got to be, this is the number one complaint people have about their work. And when people complain about their work environment, this is the number one complaint. They don't feel valued. They don't feel valued. If you are in a position of authority, you have the power to change that for every person who is under you, to, to honor the people who work under you or over you. Honor is such, it is such an important value in, in, you know, in, 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 our, in our church, a culture of honor, so important, in, in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood. Honor can dramatically impact our relationships. Now, what else, and I say that with, with the text supporting me here, because what else can explain how this centurion is able to get some Jewish leaders, Jewish people hated the Romans, right? How is this centurion able to get some Jewish leaders to go to Jesus on his behalf and to plead his case? How did he do that? Jews didn't like Romans, especially Roman soldiers. They hated them. They viewed them as oppressors. So why would these Jewish leaders do a favor for this centurion? Well, look at what they, look again, what they say to Jesus in verse four. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Why are they earnestly pleading on the behalf of this Roman soldier, on, behalf of, on his behalf? Because he loved them. He loved them. He valued them. He demonstrated that he valued them. He cared about what they cared about. Honor, honor has the power to tear down social and ethnic and political barriers. And we desperately need it today. We just, we just celebrated the life of Martin Luther King Jr. who understood the power of honor. Not vengeance. He understood the power of honor. Honor has the power to pour life into our children. It has the power to heal our marriages. It is that powerful. It is something that is so pleasing to God. And it is a mark of genuine manhood. Real men don't take advantage of women. Real men don't objectify women. Real men don't abuse women verbally or physically. Real men don't talk down to their mom, their sister, their girlfriend, their wife. They don't control her or diminish her. Real men don't view their employees as pawns, but instead they value them. Real men demonstrate honor. They demonstrate value towards everyone around them, especially the women around them. Men, this is, this is what God's calling us to as high school or college students, as husbands, as boyfriends, as fellow employees, as, as, as bosses, do the people around you and me, do the people around you, your wife, your girlfriend, your, your fellow students, your employees, do they feel valued? Do they feel honored by us? Honor, so important. 
A second lifestyle characteristic that amazes Jesus and that defines manhood is generosity. Generosity. Look at what these Jewish leaders say to Jesus as to why he should go help the, the centurion. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. This is unheard of. A Roman soldier donating funds to help build a place of worship for the Jews to enjoy. This is amazing generosity, and it's something that God notices. It's something that God values. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is urging the Corinthians to grow in generosity. But you gotta, when we read this, it's so funny because he doesn't want to make them feel guilty. He doesn't want to use guilt. And he goes over, you know, he just bends over backwards to make sure he's not doing this to make them feel guilty and all that. But he wants them to experience generosity. And so this, it's a really an amazing passage. So he, he kind of encourages them to be more generous in a number of ways. One, he reminds them of Jesus' example for, 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 for them. And then he gives an example of the Macedonians who even in their poverty, they were giving generously. So he has another example. And then, and then he talks about rewards. Whoever gives generously receives generously, right? So he's using all these principles, these truths to help stir generosity. But right at the end of that entire passage, he says something so interesting, so powerful. Second Corinthians nine, verse seven, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. What a fascinating thing to say, especially in light of Paul's understanding of the gospel. <laughs> I mean, over and over again, Paul asserts that because of Jesus' work on the cross, we are loved by God permanently, passionately, unconditionally. It is not dependent upon anything we do, right? We know that. We know Paul says that everywhere else. So what does he mean here? God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word used here is the word agape. Very familiar word, right? One of the definitions of this word is to bring joy to. See, when we give generously, lots of cool things happen in terms of our faith growing and people's lives being changed and rewards in heaven. I mean, lots of cool things happen. But the coolest thing of all that happens is what Paul is saying here. When we give generously, it brings joy to God's heart. When we give generously, it brings joy to God's heart. He loves it when we cheerfully give. Why? Because he is a giver. He looks down on us and he says, ah, oh, that's my boy. That's my girl. <laughs> that they're living the way that, that, that I live. They're, that they're choosing to live like me. And I love that. That's what he's saying when he looks down on his sons and daughters being generous. I'm not talking about earning God's love. You know my heart on that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about delighting God's heart. Generosity delights God's heart. And let me just apply this to men for just a moment here. Guys, are we growing in generosity? Husbands, are you leading your family in generosity? Or are you the one always trying to talk your wife out of giving more generously? See, generosity is a mark of maturity. It is a mark of manhood. The third characteristic of a life that amazes God and a characteristic of genuine manhood is humility. Humility. Look again at what happens next here. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. This is absolutely amazing. Again, the centurion is a leader in the Roman 
military. They are in charge. They can order people around. He could have tried to order Jesus to come to his house. Go get Jesus. This is an order. Bring him to my house. You know, powering up, kind of using his authority. I order you to come, but he didn't do that. In fact, I think, if you read between the lines a little bit here, I think what happened, because he'd already sent the Jewish leaders to go, and now he sends this other delegation. Why is he doing that? I think what may have happened is that during the time when he had initially sent the Jewish leaders to ask Jesus to come, he may have realized or remembered something, that in the Jewish tradition, it was unlawful for a Jew to even come into a Gentile house. It was unlawful for a Jew to step under a Gentile roof. So he realized that, oh yeah, I better, you know, I, 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 want, to, I want to be sensitive to this. I don't even want to do that. So, so, so that's why he sent another group of friends to Jesus. And he said, look, you, you don't even need to come under my roof. I'm unworthy to have you do that. Just, so just say the word right where you are. Just say the word. See, hum, that's humility. Humility is not a feeling. Humility is not a feeling. Humility is a decision to place others above ourselves. It's a decision we make to place other people above ourselves. It is not about putting ourselves down. That's false humility. It's about lifting others up, which is what he does here. But he also does something else that demonstrates humility. And this is something that every man in here struggles with. He asks for help right? He admits he has a need. I mean, often our pride causes us to refuse to admit need, refuse to ask for help or to ask for directions or whatever, right? Because we can do it. We don't want anyone thinking we can't do it. It's all about us. See, that's pride. Humility is the opposite of that. Humility says, I don't know what to do. I can't fix this. I need help. I was recently texting an acquaintance who for months was in desperate need, desperate need, she didn't, but she didn't tell anyone. And then it came out and I heard about it and I immediately texted her and just said, why, why didn't you let anyone know? And she said, oh, I, I, I didn't want to feel like a charity case. I struggle accepting help. I appreciated her honesty and that's how a lot of us feel, especially in our independent culture. Don't show weakness. Don't you dare show weakness. Don't ask for help. We feel like a failure if we admit need. But that's the world's perspective. That's the world's value system, not God's. In fact, the Bible says, this impacts our relationship with God. The Bible says God opposes the proud, the self-sufficient, right? He opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. God values humility because it opens a door for him to show up and, and, and help, and it opens a door for others to demonstrate love and compassion. And, and finally, the other thing humility does, and, and we often forget this, humility increases our impact upon others around us. It increases our impact on others around us. I was talking with a college student recently who, who is in, an, in another state. He's, an, he's a resident assistant in another state in the dorms. And, and he told me about a miscommunication by their supervisor um, that happened recently regarding a, a particular RA meeting. And it, and it messed up. It was right after break. And so it messed up all the RA schedules and plans. So it was pretty frustrating for all of them. But, but this student re went ahead and rearranged his schedule and, and made sure that he could get to this meeting even though there was confusion about when the meeting was going to be. So in the midst of all of this, when, when he explained the miscommunication to his boss, his boss refused to own any part of it. 
He absolutely refused to acknowledge that in any way that his communication wasn't as clear as it could have been. He just blamed everyone else. And this student said to me, why couldn't he just admit that the communication hadn't been as clear as it could have been? What, what would have been so hard about admitting that? See, what this supervisor doesn't realize is that his pride is hindering his leadership. His pride is hindering his ability to influence young people because they can see it. They, they see what's happening. He's losing credibility because he always has to be right. It, it's sad that humility is so often viewed as a weakness when in reality it is an incredible strength. And it's something that God values. Men, again, just talk to men for a second. Men, we desperately need help in this area. See, part of the false definition of manhood that we often embrace is don't show weakness. Don't admit faults. And then we wonder why we feel relationally disconnected from people. Why our kids feel distant from us. It's because there's a 10-foot wall of pride all around. Just We build a 10-foot wall of pride around us, and no one can get near or even wants to get near. Jesus, the most authentic, strongest man who ever lived, demonstrated humility. He demonstrated humility. He, 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 he put our needs before his own needs. He laid down his life for us and he calls us to do the same. Humility, so important. Well, I want to highlight from this passage one other characteristic of a life that amazes God and a life that defines real manhood and that is faith. Faith, a resolute trust in Jesus. This, this fits hand in glove with the humility we mentioned a moment ago, right? When we're willing to admit need, we then can look to Jesus for that. In our weakness, we look to his strength. In our inadequacy, we look to his adequacy. In our insufficiency, we look to, we look to his sufficiency. This is the essence of the gospel. Jesus is all that we're not, right? We, we, this is the essence of the gospel, admitting our need and placing our trust in Jesus. But, but this is so important. It, it is more than just our initial response to Jesus. It is way more than that. It is a lifestyle that Jesus is calling us to live. God wants us to live by faith every moment of every day, to, to look to Jesus, trusting him as our savior, as our life, as our hope. And here's the irony of this passage here. The, the, the irony is that this non-Jew, this Roman soldier, models for us this kind of faith better than anyone else in Israel at the time. He models for us this kind of faith. The centurion was an amazing example of this. Look at verse 7. The centurion says to Jesus, But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I just, I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even here in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant. Well, see, for the centurion, he wasn't thinking in terms of spiritual things here. He, he was not thinking about 
faith, right? He wasn't approaching Jesus in spiritual terms with spiritual language. Oh, I placed my faith in you. No, no, no. He was thinking about another concept that he totally understood, a concept that was totally part of his world, and that is the concept of authority. This centurion understood authority. So he said to Jesus, look, I get how authority works. I have people under me, and when I tell them to come, they come. They do, what, with one word, they do whatever I tell them to do. I get authority. So Jesus, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. I mean, do you hear, do you hear what he's saying in this one statement? He's saying, Jesus, I know you have authority over disease. You have authority over circumstances. This was a settled conviction in this centurion's mind. He knew what Jesus could do. He knew the authority that Jesus had. So he looked to Jesus to help him. And, Jesus, and as Jesus acknowledges, this really is amazing faith. So what is so amazing about it? There's no pleading. There's no begging. Rather, there is this settled conviction that Jesus has an authority that the centurion didn't have. So he's going to trust Jesus to heal his servant. So what, is, what does this kind of faith look like in our lives? Well, well, for one thing, it means asking. It means asking. I mean, asking Jesus to heal. Do we, do we bring our physical needs to Jesus? Do we, do we bring the physical needs of others to Jesus? How often, how often when our child has the flu, for instance, do we instinctively call a doctor, but we don't even consider asking Jesus or bringing this need to Jesus in prayer and asking him to heal? It doesn't even come under our radar. I'm not saying we shouldn't call a doctor. I mean, God has blessed us with medicine, with great doctors and all that. But why don't we just as instinctively call upon Jesus as we do call the doctor? So faith involves asking. But there's more. Faith also involves asking boldly. It involves asking boldly. This centurion fully believed Jesus could do this. He had no doubt that Jesus could heal his servant. How about you and me? When we pray, when we pray for someone to be healed, do we fully believe that Jesus can do this? I didn't say that Jesus will do this. I said, do we fully believe that Jesus can do this? Honestly, I think a lot of times, and I'm just as guilty as this anyway, a lot of times we pray for healing, but we don't really believe Jesus can heal. And the reason I know that is because it's, it's why we're so often surprised when it happens. Your pain is gone? Really? You, you actually feel better? <laughs> we do that all the time, right? I mean, what, what might happen if before we pray for someone's healing, what if, what if we would just stop and think about the centurion's words? And before we even ask, we, just, we, we, we ask ourselves, do I, in this moment, do I truly believe that Jesus is fully able to do this right now. And then we pray. Once that is settled in our heart, then we pray. Ask boldly. Now there's one other aspect of faith here, and, and that is ask boldly, then trust. Ask boldly, then trust. See, this centurion made the ask through these elders and friends, and then he trusted Jesus with the results, which in his case were very good. The servant was healed. But the results are not always like that for us. Sometimes we ask and God heals immediately. And, and other times we ask and he heals over time. And then, of course, there are those times when we ask boldly. 
and we don't see any, any healing at all. What do we do with that? We trust that Jesus is good and that he has a plan that is beyond our understanding. And that doesn't mean we stop praying. That doesn't mean that we stop seeking God about this condition. No, no, no. But it does mean, this is so important, it does mean that our faith is big enough to trust God even when God says no. That is true faith. That is true faith. It is big enough to boldly ask God to heal and it's big enough to trust him and to keep trusting him when for whatever reason, God says no. That's faith. So what are the qualities that amaze God when he sees them in us? Honor, honoring people, generosity, humility, Faith. These are all things that God highly values. Our society may not value them so much, but that's okay. We're followers of Jesus, right? Not our society. So it's really okay that our society doesn't value these things. We value them because we're followers of one who values them. We're people of his kingdom, so it's worth it for all of us to live our lives embracing these values, and that includes us men. Guys, imagine the impact in our families, in our workplaces, in our dorms, our fraternities. Imagine if we as men grew in these four values. With the, with the help of our Savior Jesus, let's define, let's redefine what authentic manhood looks like. With his help, let's redefine what authentic manhood looks like. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray together. God, thanks for your word and this amazing example of someone who amazed you. This man who, who had an influence in um, that city with people who were very different than him. He had an influence, and we see why in this passage. And, and all of us here, we, we want to we grow in these things. We want to grow to be people of honor, to honor people around us, to value them, to look at the people we work with through this eyes of, ah, ah, you know, the people we, the person we live with and our children, just this, this honor. We pray for that. Jesus, you would do that in us. And we pray for generosity, to grow in generosity. God, this, these words here, all these motivations are great, but man, the one that really stirs our heart is God loves a cheerful giver. Man, we, just, we would love to delight your heart with how generous we are. And for humility, Lord, we're so prideful, we're so self-sufficient and, and have a, such a hard time admitting need, admitting when we made a mistake. I just pray for a growth in humility in our hearts to admit when we mess up and that our walls of pride would come tumbling down and people would see our hearts and be drawn to us. And I pray as well for faith, Lord, to be stirred, this, this tenacious trust in your ability to heal and this amazing trust in your heart when for whatever reason you choose not to do that. So I just pray for these things in all of our hearts. I pray for more of these things. Through the power of your 
um, a father of, of your Holy Spirit through that power. We can't do it on our own. Pray for more. You know, I have this, um, I'm going to just ask um, something here because I've, I've had this sense um, today as I've been praying about this message, but I, w- I want to pray for men and, um, and have the rest of the, the ladies here join in this prayer. But guys, I want you to, would you stand up? All, all of the men, I want you to stand up. And if you're teenagers, if, if, if you're, I don't care how young you are, if you understand what I'm saying and you're a guy and you want to grow as a man, you're included, okay? So let's stand, all the men stand. And I just want to pray for us as men. And I, those who are seated, would you just kind of join your prayers right now to pray for these men who are standing here? So God, you see us standing here before you. And the, the desire of our heart to not be men as the world defines it but to be godly men as you define it, to be real men. And so I want to pray. I pray for that for all of us. I pray for us to grow in honor, in honoring the people around us, especially those closest to us, our moms, our wives, our our girlfriends, just honoring the people we go to school, the women we go to school with or, or that we work alongside. Honor. I pray that we would be men of generosity, fill us with a generous heart, that we would lead the way. We would lead the way. I pray for humility to grow in our hearts so we'd be man enough to admit mistakes and to open our heart and just say, man, I need help here. I pray for that. And I pray as well for faith. We would be men of faith. Strong faith, who just like the centurion, like we know Jesus can do this. And that we would be men who pray boldly for you to do miracles, God. And so I just want to pray for oh, just all of us here as men to grow in authentic manhood. And I, guys, I just want to just take a moment, if you would, I, and, and I don't want to f- force you to do anything in your heart you don't want to, but if you're willing, would you just tell the Lord in the quiet of your heart, God, I'm yours. I want to be the man that you want me to be. Just tell him that in the quiet of your heart. God, you've heard these prayers. We, we want to be men after your heart. Would you help us, Jesus? We admit we can't do it on our own. We need more of you. So fill us now and help us grow in these things, Lord. Help us grow in these things. We love you. All right, why don't all of us stand, if you would. We're going to do another prayer thing here. So all the ladies stand And again, I'm praying for all of us here, just help us grow in these things. But there's something else about this passage that's been stirring in my heart, and it's this aspect of healing. And often what we do um, in in this church, we'll just have people that have a need for healing to sit down and we'll gather around and pray for them. But I want to do something a little different tonight based on the passage that we just looked at. What I want to do is, what I want us to do is, I'm going to have people sit again, but this time I want you to sit. If you... If there's someone you know that needs healing. So you're the centurion. You're the centurion. 
And you are asking Jesus to move on someone else's behalf for physical healing, or it could be emotional healing for depression or anxiety or something like that. But you are asking, in just a moment, you're going to sit down asking him to heal someone else, okay? So you're sitting down on behalf of someone else. That makes sense. And then if there's anyone still standing, um, those folks, we're going to, we'll gather around, we'll just place hands on folks around us. I'm not sure everyone will be able to do that, but why don't we do that now? So if you, if there's someone that tonight, you're just feeling a stirring of faith to pray for someone you know needs healing, go ahead and have a seat. It's just stirring in your heart. You just, you're going to ask, you're going to be the centurion and you're going to ask boldly. Just go ahead and sit down. Okay, now the rest of us, um, just look around, people around you. I I don't think everyone's going to be able to have someone, but if you have people around you, if you can just kind of go near to them, maybe place a hand on a couple people, maybe a foot on some people or whatever. Um, No, just kidding. But but just folks seated, just so you know, our hearts are with you in this. We may not have one person over everyone, but our hearts are with you. Okay, and here's what we're going to do. And I, I want us, before we ask for healing, I want you to have this person in mind. And I want you to ask yourself, do I believe Jesus has the power to heal this person right now? From a distance even, because that's what happened in the story. Jesus did not lay hands on this person. He healed this servant from a distance. Do I believe, do you believe Jesus has the power to do this right now? Lord, stir our faith. And now what I want you to do, just in the quiet of your heart, and we're just going to join with you now, is we're going to ask Jesus, ask Jesus to heal this person specifically. So go ahead and ask that. You can say it out loud if you want. I'm going to be praying over us. You can pray quietly or out loud here. But let's, and and those who are standing, let's join our faith right now. So Lord, thank you for these who are seated and who they represent. And we pray in the name of Jesus. We ask you, Jesus, we ask you boldly to heal these people. We pray that you would touch them, that you would heal them for cancer to be gone. We ask for disease to be gone. We pray for pain to be gone, headaches gone, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray for anxiety to lift. We pray for depression to lift. Or we we ask you, Jesus, to heal, to pour out your spirit upon these people and you would touch them. We bring every cell in their body under your authority and we pray, we pray that you would touch them, Lord. Fill them, heal them. God, we want to hear stories of people feeling better today after this prayer time. And so we we ask for you to move and to heal. We believe you can do it, Jesus. Your word says so. We believe you can do it. We're asking you to do it. And I also want to pray, Lord, I also want to pray just for trust. We're asking boldly and now we're trusting you that our faith would be big enough to trust you no matter how you happen to answer these prayers and that we would keep on praying for these people. So thank you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing these prayers. Thank you for the humility and the faith of these people who have sat down, the love they have for these these other people. And I pray that you would bless them as they minister to these folks. Thank you. Thank you for their faith. Thank you, Lord. Okay, why don't we all stand? Thanks for your willingness to do that. 
just to, to apply the word in that way. Um, and please let us know if there are any stories of healing or whatever that God does in that. Okay, so we're going to transition now to a time of responding in one other way to the message, and that is by partaking of the Lord's Supper. The only reason we can talk about humility and honor and doing these things, this is not about trying harder to do these things better. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel in our inadequacy. Jesus is totally adequate. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper today in these moments here, as we, during what will happen is the worship will begin and then during any of the songs, just come up to a table um, or back to a table wherever you happen to be and grab a piece of bread which represents Jesus' body given for us and then dip that in the cup which represents his blood shed for us and then you can eat right there or you can take it back to your seat. But as we partake, we're basically saying, Jesus, you're, you're all we need. We, we can't do this in our own power. We need you. And so we are looking to you in faith. We are looking to you afresh to be our Savior in our life and our Lord. So as you partake, just say a prayer to him. Jesus, I need you. And I welcome the fullness of your presence in my life to help me live a life that amazes you, God. So God, we pray for that as we partake, that this would not just be some religious ritual we're doing. This would be an experience of your presence and an expression of our faith in you, Jesus. So we love you. Set us free now to respond to you in worship and in the receiving of the Lord's Supper. Thank you, Lord.